Our world is full of the unexplainable. And if history is an open book, all of these amazing tales are right there on display, just waiting for us to explore. Welcome to the Cabinet of Curiosities. All of us have days we don't quite feel like ourselves. We wake up on the wrong side of the bed. We miss that early morning latte to get ourselves going. Or we notice something is just off. It doesn't take much for one little thing to throw our whole world off balance. However, in one man's case, something had been wrong for some time. He didn't quite feel right on two worlds. Kirk Allen first showed up on Dr. Lidner's Baltimore doorstep in the mid-1940s. Another physician in a governmental research facility across the country had asked Dr. Lidner to provide a second opinion on his patient. Mr. Allen didn't have a deadly disease or anything like that, but his symptoms were unique. The physician just wanted to make sure the man didn't pose a threat to himself or to his colleagues. Kirk Allen had had no outbursts or incidents while employed at the research station. He got along just fine with his co-workers, and no one questioned the quality of his work. However, the people around him were worried. You see, Kirk Allen believed he had two homes. I don't mean two houses in different cities. He believed he spent half of his time on Earth, and the other half on another planet. He spoke matter-of-factly about it, as though it were perfectly normal for him. In a way, the other planet was a means of escape. He'd been born in Hawaii to a wealthy diplomat father. His mother, a native Hawaiian, spent most of her days working and almost never with her son. With both parents absent, Kirk spent his formative years in the care of nurses and governesses. The governesses were tasked with educating him, which proved difficult as Kirk had an unquenchable curiosity and a passion for learning. He loved to read, and his teachers had trouble keeping up. And one governess was so obsessed with cleanliness, she instilled in the young Kirk a debilitating fear of germs from the very environment and people he'd grown up around. When she left, another governess entered his life. By then, he'd already been living within two worlds, that of a child with everything he needed, and that of a child who lacked parents in a real and practical way. Because of that, crossing the line into adulthood wasn't easy for him. But he still had his books. When the world was weighing down on him and he felt like he needed to get away, he retreated into the pages of fantasy and science fiction stories. The Wizard of Oz books had been his favorite, until one day when a crate of novels was delivered to his house. There were religious texts, essay collections, and biographies, but Kirk found himself drawn to a novel by an English author he recognized. The main character immediately caught his attention, as he and Kirk shared the same name. He finished the book in a single day, and then read it all over again. He reread it three times before moving on to another book with a character who bore the same name, Kirk Allen. The third time he discovered a main character with the same name as his, he felt nothing, almost like it had been fated to happen. It had been these latest stories, a series of American science fiction novels about an Earth-born man taken to another planet that captivated him in a way no other books had. He didn't just become engrossed in the tales. The 14-year-old Alan truly believed they were about him, an older, wiser him. Biographies of a life he'd lived among the stars. Every detail, 
Every character the fictional Kirk encountered was instantly recognizable to the real person. To Kirk, while his physical body went to work, ate in diners, and slept in the same bed every night, another piece of him was off having fantastic adventures, battling strange creatures and wooing galactic princesses. It was as though the author had found out about the real Kirk Allen and had transcribed his story. And once he'd read through all of the volumes of his, quote, biography, Kirk began writing his own. Despite his fantastical other life, reality never got away from him. Kirk earned a degree and tried to build a normal life for himself on Earth. But he never forgot about his obsession. He started filling in the gaps in the stories and building them out with what he thought were his own memories, memories that eventually turned into hallucinations. Kirk was told to seek help or find employment elsewhere. Which brings us to Dr. Lindner's office. The good doctor saw only one way of curing Kirk Allen of his delusions, by entertaining them. He went along with his patient, establishing that his memories of intergalactic space travel were real. From there, the two men worked back through his real biography, including all the neglect and abuse that had brought him to this point. It was only when Kirk understood why he'd believed the stories were about him that he was able to shake the delusion. There was just one problem. Dr. Lidner had now become obsessed with Kirk's stories. He found himself daydreaming and fantasizing not just about new adventures on distant planets, but the very idea of allowing one's brain to exist on another plane of existence while the body languished on Earth. It seemed a bit of Dr. Lidner's patient had rubbed off on him, though not to the same degree. He understood that none of it was real, but he wondered if it could be. Could we be in two places at once? Could we bear memories of lives unlived? We may never know, just like we may never know the real Kirk Allen. Kirk Allen, you see, was a pseudonym used to protect his identity. The fictional character's name was also not Kirk Allen. Some have theorized the books that kicked off the man's obsession was the Barsoom series by Edgar Rice Burroughs. To this day, though, we still don't know what his real identity was, which only adds to the mystery behind the man. What isn't so mysterious is how what happened to Kirk Allen could have happened to anyone. The books we read have a tendency to affect us in ways we aren't even aware of at the time. Perhaps the author George R.R. R. Martin says it best. A reader lives a thousand lives before he dies. The man who never reads lives only one. The fishing boat known as the High Aim 6 left a Taiwanese port in the fall of 2002. Aboard the vessel were the captain and his first mate, an engineer. They stopped in Indonesia to pick up a crew of eight other men to assist with their expedition, and then the ten fishermen set out to sea, their ship filled with fuel and provisions enough to last the whole trip. There were no storms that had doomed them to a watery grave, nor engine failure leaving them stranded in the middle of the ocean. By all accounts, the voyage was supposed to be a standard fishing outing, like many they and other ships from the region had been known to make. Which is why it was so odd when Australian naval officials spotted the High Aim 6 drifting 80 nautical miles off their coast. They hailed the ship on the radio, but only received silence. Something was clearly amiss. 
Officials boarded the vessel and found the engine had been running at full throttle, but the gas tank was empty and the rudder was locked. The ship couldn't have moved if it wanted to, so it drifted aimlessly until it was found. They then searched for signs of distress or struggle, but found nothing out of the sorts. In fact, it appears as though nothing had gone wrong at all. A half-empty pack of cigarettes rested above the helm, seven toothbrushes were found in the living quarters, and the refrigerator was fully stocked. Oh, and over three tons of rotting tuna and mackerel sat below, stinking up the hold. The ship was ultimately towed to Australia's western coast for an investigation as to what had happened. There was just one problem. Investigators couldn't interview a single crew member about what had happened. The vessel had been empty when they found it. All ten of them were assumed dead. It seemed Australia had a real-life ghost ship on its hands. Except there was one survivor. One of the Indonesian crew members had made it off the ship safely and was arrested shortly after the High Aim 6's discovery. According to his story, the captain and the engineer had been murdered, though he didn't know what had caused the mutiny, or where the rest of his crewmates had gone. He assumed they'd hitched a ride back to their homeland. That tall tale didn't sit well with police, however. They'd noticed nothing of value had been taken from the ship, and not a single trace of blood could be found. And all the other crew members had disappeared. There was no sign of them back in Indonesia. Australian police and naval authorities searched the water for any signs of the captain, the engineer, or the crew, but came up empty. It was as if they'd disappeared into thin air. When investigators checked the call logs on mobile phones belonging to the captain and the engineer, they noticed something even more bizarre. A series of calls made from the engineer's phone to his daughter, following his disappearance. When she picked up, she said, she heard sounds from a karaoke bar in the background. The call had been traced back to the Philippines. She feared that her father had not been murdered, but kidnapped and held by the Indonesian crew, though no ransom demand was ever made. Similar calls were made from the captain's phone around the same time, only his came from the island of Bali. Had the crew really murdered the captain and his first mate, as the survivor claimed, or had they taken the two men hostage and let the ship float away? The Australian police and navy still don't have any answers, and the fate of the men involved is still unknown. The idea of pirates isn't entirely out of the question. Piracy and all that comes with it, including murder and kidnapping, are still a large problem for cargo ships and fishing vessels in many parts of the world. We may never know what happened to the nine other men aboard the High Aim 6, or where they might be today. All we know is, at a certain point, the authorities stopped looking and assumed that they were dead. It seems that they bought the survivor's story, hook, line, and sinker. I hope you've enjoyed today's guided tour of the Cabinet of Curiosities. Subscribe for free on Apple Podcasts or learn more about the show by visiting curiositiespodcast.com. This show was created by me, Aaron Mankey, in partnership with How Stuff Works. I make another award-winning show called Lore, which is a podcast, book series, and television show. And you can learn all about it over at theworldoflore.com. And until next time, stay curious. Stay curious.